man, I agree with Adam, by the way. It is good to see you and know that I could touch you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for being there with us. Uh, man, I'll tell you what. So last, the last several weeks, as you know, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul and his ministry and what he has taught us, not, actually not what he's, what he's modeled for us as we've watched his life uh, through Scripture about how to live generously. And, and as Adam mentioned, you know, the first week we talked about how to invest in our friends, and we talked about Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and then we talked about investing in our, our, investing our finances, and not just that we should be doing it, but how we should be doing it. Last week we talked about investing our faith in the generations that are coming behind us. And if you missed any of those, I hope you'll check those out at our website. This morning, Paul is in prison with his friend Silas. And we are going to finish this series by seeing how when we live generously, someone's liable to get set free. And if you're not aware of this story, if you've not heard it yet, you may be surprised who it is that actually gets set free free. So, hey, uh, by the way, if this is your first time here, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor, and some of you are here this morning, and some of you are there, right, this morning, and that's great. Some of us, for the very first time, I met several folks who were here for the very first time on our campus uh, the first hour. Others of us have been, uh, it's your first time in a long time. How many of you on campus, first time in a long time? Okay, that'd be all of you, all right. Uh, and maybe, maybe COVID has had you asking some questions. And, and maybe, maybe you, you're checking out, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been checking out this whole Jesus church thing, and you don't, you don't even know that you believe, or if you're thinking a little bit about it, you're not sure what you think about it yet, and that's okay. I just want to say that's all right. Thanks for being here with us. We want to help you with that if we can. Others of you have been checking this out for a while, and you've, you've asked questions. You've read some stuff. You've listened to some stuff, and you're not sure you're ready to commit yourself to Jesus just yet. But maybe, uh, I mean, how does this whole becoming a Christian thing work? Well, is there something you're supposed to know? Is there something you're supposed to, to do in the midst of this? And you've heard us talk about, you know, steps. Maybe you've heard us talk about journey. You've heard us talk about a path. And it's all of these things. And this morning, what we're going to look at is the story of someone who becomes a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, interestingly, his whole family does at the same time. And we will, listen, if you're paying attention, uh, you're going to find yourself in this story somewhere. You're in this story, trust me. Acts chapter 16 is where we are. If you have your phone or tablet with you, it's on the YouVersion Bible app. You'll find our notes there. Did you notice no handout this morning? Everybody notice that? We won't be doing those for a while. Everything is on the YouVersion Bible app, so I hope if you don't have that, you'll download that, and you can follow along there. So Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So if you're not familiar with this incident, you may be wondering who exactly are Paul and Silas, especially if this is your first Sunday with us. Paul and Silas, first century, a couple of Christian guys who would go from town to town and help start churches. And if you don't know this particular story, you may think to yourself, wow, that's so great. Paul and Silas, they must head up the prison ministry at their church. 
right? And they've gone to visit the prisoners, and they're going to encourage them, and they're praying with them, and they're singing with them, and that's not what's going on at all. Paul and Silas aren't there visiting the prisoners. Paul and Silas are the prisoners. Verse 16 uh, gives you the backstory. So if you backtrack a little bit in chapter 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Read that, demon possession. And I don't know where you stand on that. I believe in demon possession. When Satan was cast out of heaven, a host of rebellious angels was cast out of heaven with him, and the Bible calls these demons. And on the rare occasion, right, demons could dominate and control a person. That's what we call demon possession. Uh, And we've had so many movies made about demon possession, right, that it's been over-exaggerated. It's been remade in Hollywood's imagination. And today, as soon as someone gets a toothache or a headache, you know, child acts rebellious, we're quick to say he's demon-possessed. I still remember my Sunday school teachers talking to my parents about a little boy in their class they thought was demon-possessed, never did find out who they were talking about, right? I believe that demon possession still occurs today. But let me say it again. I believe that it's rare. And it's almost always the result of involvement in satanic worship or the occult. It includes the use of drugs and some commitment uh, to sin as well. But I want to make sure we catch this. The Bible assures us that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we need to make sure we catch that. Demons need to be respected for their power but we don't need to be afraid of them. The girl in Acts 16, verse 16, was possessed by a demon that enabled her to predict the future with supernatural accuracy. And she actually made a lot of money for her owners with this gift because people would come groping for some reassurance about the future and they would pay good money for her prediction. Verse 17 says, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they're telling you the way to be saved, which by the way is true. That's exactly what they were doing. But verse 18 says that Paul became so annoyed, read that, Uh, worn out. Literally, that's what the word means, worn out. No doubt, Paul was worn out. If you've seen, you know, has your heart ever been worn out by by compassion for someone? Something's going on in their life, and it just wears you out. You're so concerned for them. I'm sure Paul was dealing with that, but I'm also thinking that he probably was a little worn out because she kept following them around and saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. I mean, how many times can you hear that, right? before you just get annoyed and worn out. So he turned and he said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And boom, the spirit was gone. The girl released from bondage to demons couldn't believe it. The people who owned her lost their source of income, couldn't believe it, right? They were so angry because their money was gone. So side note, I just want to make, you, make sure you get this. This is a biblical reminder that is still true today. People don't mind you being a follower of Jesus as long as you keep it inside this building, right? The moment the church begins to affect the pocketbooks of people in our culture, whether they would be pornographers or drug dealers or the television industry or the movie industry. Listen, that's where the gospel will be opposed. Verse 19, the owners of the girl, slave girl, uh, had Paul and Silas dragged into the marketplace. 
Uh, we're told in verse 22, they're stripped of their clothing and they're beaten. The Greek word means they were beaten with rods. Verse 23 says they were severely flogged, thrown into prison and guarded carefully. Verse 24 completes this picture. Their feet were put in stocks. But when you look at verses 23 and 24, the picture those words paint is they're in the center. They're in the innermost part of the prison and the stocks have five holes, two for the ankles, two for the wrists, one for the neck. When Paul was uncomfortable, he couldn't shift. When a fly landed on one of Silas's uh, bleeding wounds, he couldn't swat it away. They couldn't lie down. Can you imagine how miserable Paul and Silas must have been in this prison? Let me ask you, what would you have been doing if that was you? You're in the middle, you're in the center, worst place in the prison. You're, you're, you're stoved up like that. What would you be doing? Remember the first verse we read, verse 25? Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Verse 26 says, all of a sudden a violent earthquake shook the prison to its foundations, shook so hard that the chains fell off of the wrist, shook so hard, right, that the, uh, the, the, the post holding the door flew out of the slats and the doors flew open to the place. And verse 27 says that the jailer woke up and was about to kill himself because Roman law said that if you were guarding a prisoner and you lost the prisoner, their punishment became your punishment. And he would rather commit suicide than face the shame of an execution. But before he could do that, Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Isn't that an interesting thing? Why is that? Why, were, why was everybody still in the prison? And this is, by the way, where the journey begins. The first step on this journey for the jailer, and maybe, maybe some of the prisoners, was they heard about Jesus. Seems obvious, right? I say that because of this question, why were all the prisoners still there? Why were Paul and Silas still there? Why did everyone else stay in the jail? Somebody knocked unconscious by falling stones? Eh, maybe. Afraid of the dark? Eh, probably not. Too stunned to move? For sure. But I would say not by the earthquake. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, probably portions of what we today know as the Psalms. They were playing, singing and praying to God. And the other prisoners, you see what the other prisoners were doing? They were what? Listening to them. They were listening to these guys. Romans 10, Paul would write this, how can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? At some point in your life, the fact that you're in this room right now says that somebody said something to you about God. And maybe it was your mom and dad growing up. Maybe it was a friend who invited you to church or a neighbor or someone you went to school with or somebody that you worked with. For the jailer and for the prisoners who were listening, it was Paul and Silas. You know, I imagine they heard a lot of things coming out of the center of that prison. Complaining, groans, cussing. But never had they ever heard anybody singing and praying. And it had this effect on them. Now, I told you earlier, right, that you're going to find yourself in this, you're in this story. And for some of you, you need to hear right now. Maybe you're the jailer just hearing. For the very first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, you're hearing this story, and it's kind of, kind of hitting you. Or maybe you're Paul and Silas. And I want to remind you, if that's you in this story, there are people who are listening, they are watching you. They hear the words you say, 
But way more important is what they see you do. These songs you sing on Sunday, do, do you live those out on Monday? The, 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 the things that we talk about as a, as a church, does that somehow impact your life when you're away from this place? Your faith affects people around you, even people you don't know. It's kind of like the guy who went into the restaurant, he ordered two full meals, and the waitress said, you, you must be hungry. And he said, well, no, they're not both for me. One's for my brother. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a little five-inch guy. And the lady said, oh, man, is he real? And he said, sure, he's real. Can, can he walk? Can he walk? Hey, Jake, go get me a sugar packet. He, the little guy runs across the top of the table, jumps in the sugar bowl, grabs a packet, and runs back to his brother. She said, can he eat? Well, yeah, he can eat. Jake, hey, grab one of those chips. So Jake ran over, grabbed the chip out of the bowl, started munching on it. She said, can he talk? Can he talk? Jake, tell him about that time we were hunting in Africa and you called the witch doctor an idiot. <laughs> yeah, now, that's what I missed right there. <laughs> I, listen, for good or for bad, our words, our lives, our faith affects people who hear us and see us. Those prisoners could have run for safety. Isn't it interesting? They stayed right where they were in that room, in, in, in their cell. Our text doesn't say, but I, would, I kind of conjecture maybe that, that Paul took control of the situation. Later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, Paul's prisoner on a ship. He's, he's a prisoner again. And there's a violent storm that destroyed the ship, but Paul took control of the situation and got the men on the ship to safety. I'm guessing he did the same thing here. He just took control of the situation. And let's not I would also guess that because of the earthquake, the fear of God was on these men. Undoubtedly, though, they saw something about these Jewish preachers that they had never seen in anybody else. So the first step, the very beginning of the journey is to hear. The next step we see reflected by the jailer and the prisoner is that they believed what they were hearing. Verse 25 says that the prisoners were listening. Now, we have no record of any of the prisoners giving their life to Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not saying that they did. They may have. But in verses 29 and 30, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what do I need to do to be saved? What do you think Paul and Silas said? Look at verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. You know, Paul, when he was writing to another church in the, book of, or in the city of Ephesus, said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Listen, after you hear about God, the next step, and it seems so elementary. Sometimes we just skip right over it is you have to believe what you've heard. It's not enough to hear something. It's not enough to, you have to believe. And I like this. It's on your notes if you've got the U version open. A belief is not merely an idea that the mind possesses. It's an idea that possesses the mind. I, I think I like what Dallas Willard said a little better, also on your notes. We don't believe something by saying we believe it or even believing that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. So let me ask, do you believe? Do you believe the things that you hear about God? Do you really believe that he created the whole world and everything that's in it? Do you believe he exists? Do you believe that he loves you enough that he would allow his son to die on a cross for you and three days later be raised from the dead? And do you believe that Jesus is right now preparing a place for those of us who are following him and one day, one day he is going to come back 
And those who follow him will go to heaven with him. And those who have chosen not to follow Jesus here on earth will go to hell to be away with him, from him forever. Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now we know that the jailer and his family believed because of what they did next. And although this word isn't in our verses, the actions reflect this idea that he repented, all right? So you hear, you believe, and then you have a response. The first is usually to repent. Paul would say just a couple chapters uh, removed from our story in Acts chapter 26, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So in the Greek language, that word originally meant an afterthought, which is your first thought, you realized it was wrong, so you had a second thought that replaced you know, your first thought, and then that changed the way you behaved. A change of thinking, a change of mind, created a change of behavior. That's what repentance means. You change the way you think, and so you change the way you behave. Look at verses 33 and 34. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So the next step, by the way, confess to, confess to Jesus and confess about Jesus. It's, it's verses 30 and 31 again. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Part of verbalizing uh, to God is uh, where you've been wrong. Proverbs 28.3 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And I wonder if you ever find yourself doing that. God, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I knew better than to do that. Honestly, if I'm being honest, I may as well, because you already know anyway. I knew it was wrong before I did it. I just wanted to do it anyway. And now I feel horrible about it. I am so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. For, please forgive me for what I just said. Please forgive me for some of the things I've been thinking lately. I've, my thoughts have been so jumbled, I just can't believe I'm even thinking some of the things I'm thinking. That is what we call confessing to Jesus. The other part is confessing about Jesus. In Romans 10, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So part of confessing is not only telling Jesus about who you are, it's about telling him who you believe he is. Jesus said, if you tell others that you belong to me, I will tell my Father in heaven that you're my followers. And the next step, the very next step we see in this journey is found in verse 33. And it's the one with us. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. That's the response. When you hear and when you believe and it begins to change your mind, you talk to God about it and then you do something about it, right? I'm going to take you back to a verse that you heard a moment ago and I just want to be very clear about this. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. To be clear, God's Grace is what saves us. But it's interesting, every time in Scripture someone becomes a follower of Jesus, their initial response, the very first thing they do, the, the knee-jerk reaction of every person you read about, read through the book of Acts, is to be baptized into Jesus, which may be just a reflection of what Jesus said in chapter 28. 
his earthly ministry is done. He's getting ready to hop on a cloud and head back home. And he says to his followers in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So let me ask. (laughs) Paul and Silas were in prison. But who was it that was set free? And maybe, maybe you have a friend who has been watching your life, and they have been asking you questions. Because they're wondering. I mean, in the midst of COVID, they've watched how you've responded. And they're wondering about that. In the midst of rallies and protests and, quite frankly, riots and violence. They've been listening to your heart. They've been watching your response and your care and concern for the black community and for the police community who both seem to be under attack, and they're watching and listening to you, and they're thinking and they're asking questions. Why are you responding the way you are? The rest of the world's doing this, but you're doing that. Why are you doing that? You seem to be so concerned about everybody involved. I just want to remind you that today, I I want to remind you today, you've been put in that person's life by God. You are uniquely positioned to influence them, just like Paul and Silas were. And they are asking you about who drives your life, who's the center, Who's who's the one pointing you in a direction, and it's your opportunity to share your faith with them. Maybe you're here and you've been wondering if all this stuff that you hear about Jesus is true, and if it is, quite frankly, would he let someone like you be part of his kingdom. So I just want to be very clear about this as well. I don't want to make any mistake. I want you to wonder about that when we're done here today. If you have been wondering if Jesus would let someone like you be part of his kingdom, the answer is yes. He died for you so that you could live for him. I want to make sure you get that. Because if you don't need that, you've got a friend who does. Would God let someone like you, who's done the things you've done, said the things you've said, thought the things you thought, been the places you've been, would he let someone like you, with your kind of past, your kind of history, into his kingdom? Yes. Yes. He died for you. He died to take care of that sin debt. And he asked you to live for him. And if that's your next step of faith, we'd love to help you with that. Some of you have come with a friend. If you've got questions, ask them. Tell them what you're thinking. Because if they're a follower of Jesus, they want to help you become a follower of Jesus as well. Or if you've come this morning and you've got questions and there's there's no one in here that you really know and you'd like to find out, I would love to talk to you. I'm not going to be in this room after here because we need to move quickly out of this room so it can be cleaned again, but I will be right outside. And if you've got a question, you want to connect with me, listen, let's do that. And let's talk about what your next step of faith is. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for who you are, but more, thank you for who you call us to be. God, thank you for 
reaching into the prison that we each, at least at some point in our lives, we all made a prison for ourselves out of the sin that we were involved with. And you came in, <laughs> and we got to hear songs about you. Maybe, maybe it was at a service, maybe it was something on a radio. <laughs> we got to hear someone talk about you, and maybe it was just a friend talking about what they'd been doing over the weekend and, or, or some way that they had been serving in the community and, and reaching out and helping feed people or helping clothe people or, or helping uh, at His Hope downtown with folks who have struggled with addiction or, or maybe it was some way that they interacted in their neighborhood to help somebody see you and, and somebody here heard them talk about that and wanted to know more. And so, Father, thank you that all of us, because we all began there, everyone in this room was, was away from you at one point, but somebody came into our lives who knew you and, and invited us in too. God, for those of us who know you, may we continue to invite so that our friends know how much you love them. And for those of us who are in the room wondering now, God, I pray that you would use us to help them take their next step of faith. Thank you for Paul and Silas and their example. Thank you for the Philippian jailer and his family and the decision they made. God, may we be faithful in either making that decision or helping someone else too. And we pray this, Jesus, in your powerful, earthquake-creating name. Amen.